Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to the Believe in Jaguars show. I'm Justin Dunk, joined by Mia O'Brien from 1010XL Radio in Jacksonville. You can follow Mia on X or Twitter or whatever we're calling it these days, at Mia O'Brien TV. Thanks for hopping on, Mia. Absolutely. Happy to be here. The Jags lost 31-17 in Cleveland in week 14. What were your takeaways from the game? Yeah, biggest takeaway um, was just that from the jump, obviously, this offense was behind the eight ball, given that the Browns just went down with ease with, yes, a 38-year-old Joe Flacco, who is older than some of the coaches on the Jaguars coaching staff. (laughs) Uh, Yes, they did that. But then what happened after that, I think, is very telling of where this team heads with four games remaining in the regular season. Um, Let's begin with the offense. So you're down in a 7-0 hole. You know already you're without Christian Kirk, but you also know that at least logic would suggest your two best players on the field, if only by the statistical measure, are Travis Etienne and Evan Ingram. We know that the Jaguars did everything they could to get Evan Ingram the ball, 11 catches on 12 targets. He was awesome. Two touchdowns. We're finally seeing him actually find the end zone. The Travis Etienne part of this is what's more troubling for me. Um, Even in games in which the Jaguars have won, we have seen, excuse me, let me rephrase that. During the five-game win streak in the middle of the season, What you so often saw was a team that said, you know what? Yes, we may not be turning drives into touchdowns, but if we keep with the run, something will break. The Bills game in week five is a perfect illustration of that. The run game really wasn't going early on. Much of the offensive success, the reason that they led the entire way was because of the passing attack. But in the second half, they did not abandon the run. Part of that is trying to run the clock. Part of it was, hey, if we can open up play action, Not only will that give us more opportunities in the passing game, but also the run game is going to break at some point. And you saw that with that proved to be the go-ahead touchdown against the Bills that Travis Etienne broke free along the left side for. And that's a perfect illustration of, yes, it may not be working, but you cannot abandon it. And then during this two-game win streak, before this two-game losing streak against the Titans and Texans respectively, you saw that by keeping with the run, that opened up play action and that opened up a world of possibility for Trevor Lawrence and the receivers. By making yourselves one-dimensional, yes, you're behind the eight ball already, but you're not helping your own cause. That coupled with the fact that this defense continues to struggle uh, in screen passes, that's been forever in this town. From I mean, I've been here five years. Um, I've been told it's been a lot longer that against screen passes, the Jaguars just flat out can't figure it out. You couple that with situational awareness on fourth and one, they bring the house and they go cover zero. They get beat twice. Doug Peterson said this afternoon that when you look back on this loss, what hurt the Jaguars defense most were three plays for 120 yards, but it was 120 yards, 120 yards that the receiver was barely contacted during. There was little to no pressure. They were running free, and you don't want that against anyone, let alone a geriatric Joe Flacco. Then the third part of it, of course, is the pre-snap penalties, which Doug went into detail about on Monday. Um, and, and I think it, you know, the naked eye can tell you if Adam Gossis jumps off, doesn't jump offside. On that punt, the Jaguars get the ball back with six minutes left in the game as opposed to four. That may change the the, the complexity of how the Jaguars would have attacked the Browns down the stretch and possibly, possibly could have given them a better chance to win. And so it was kind of a, a snowball effect of a lot of different things. But this team's back was against the wall. It's even further against the wall now. Last year, that is when they said they played at their best. We need to see if this year's team can respond in a similar way. Football is back, and Bet Online is your number one information source for all your sports wagering info and all the up to the minute stats, news, scores, 
and matchup breakdowns. Get the latest odds, spreads, and totals from the NFL and college football at your fingertips with Bet Online's real time updates on statistics, news, and odds. From week one all the way to the college football playoff and Super Bowl, Bet Online gives you the access to the best football promotions and contests available anywhere online. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to get in on the action. Remember to use our promo code BELIEVE, that's B L E A V, to receive your 50 percent welcome bonus on your first deposit bet online it's where the game starts you touched on so many things there off the top mia but all the focus going into the week was on trevor lawrence he had that high right ankle sprain issue going into the game how close do you think he was to 100 percent in cleveland I'm not sure he was 100%, but I really didn't think he was as bad as some other people, even that I work with, have been saying. Uh, if anything, I think Denny Thompson, uh, our quarterback whisperer here at 1010XL, who obviously works with several NFL quarterbacks from Brock Purdy to Gardner Minshew, he said it too just now on my program. He was like, I didn't think Trevor was that bad. And he agreed with me that if anything, Trevor's production took a hit from the following number, which is 9 of 27. Justin, do you know what 9 of 27 stands for? That ain't good. Calvin Ridley caught four passes on 13 targets. Zay Jones caught five passes on 14 targets. That means together, those two players, Trevor Lawrence, nine of 27 for 82 yards when targeting Calvin Ridley and Zay Jones on Sunday. That can't happen when Christian Kirk is in the lineup, and it certainly can't happen when he's not in the lineup. And I can count off the top of my head between the two interceptions, the one outstretched play that Zay Jones I thought had in his mitts, but then the, uh, the cornerback for the Browns made a tremendous play. Then also the one where he was definitely held, but hey, it's a football play. The Browns are the home team. That that sort of thing happens. You could even point to the DPI on Evan Ingram as well. That's another additional miscue by the Jaguars that ended in an incompletion. And already we're looking at shifting that statistic from nine of twenty nine of nine for twenty seven to almost a fifty percent completion percentage for those two players. And so for me, that's what it boils down to. If a couple of those passes had been hauled in, this would have been a completely different ball game. And while I don't think Trevor was at 100%, he certainly proved he could move. He scrambled three different times, and he twisted his way out of Miles Garrett and company. And so if you're able to do that, I'm going to say you're at the very least 90-plus percent, and that's a tribute to Trevor Lawrence for gutting it out, Will Wincoop, his trainer, um, for getting him in game shape because – I didn't think it was a possibility one week ago today when he went down, or I guess one week ago tomorrow when, you know, 24 hours after that gruesome looking injury. And I saw him walking through the tunnel with my own two eyes. And, and then to see him walk into the press room on Wednesday, to see him running and jogging on the practice field Thursday and Friday. And then obviously to see him play in an NFL game against the number one ranked defense on the national football league Sunday, it's a tribute to them. But I think we, the storyline coming out of this game would have been dang Trevor does it again. One year to the count, one year to the date in which he went down against the Detroit Lions with a toe injury. He comes back and has arguably his best game of the regular season against the Titans. He had an opportunity to do that against the Browns. His receivers just didn't stack up for him. Lawrence said that it actually felt pretty good. And that might have been the one positive of Sunday was that there were no re injuries or tweaks to that issue that he was dealing with. You mentioned the nine to 27. On the flip side of that, Lawrence, when targeting everybody else, 19 to 22 for 175 and three touchdowns, 86.3% completion rate, 7.95 yards per pass. Yes, there were a lot of negatives, and we're going to get into more of them. But how good was Evan Ingram in this game, and how underrated has he been all season long? Absolutely underrated. I think 
the problem was he wasn't scoring touchdowns. And so fantasy football owners across the nation were giving him a bad <laughs> rep. When in reality, he is on pace for not only the best statistical season by a Jaguar tight end, he is on pace to potentially eclipse Jimmy Smith's all-time mark at 116 catches in a season. And that is something that I think will come to pass so long as he stays healthy because there is no Christian Kirk in the lineup and because, unfortunately, some of the other playmakers um, couldn't catch a cold right now, even up in Cleveland where it was 40 degrees. Um, and, and so it's it's fascinating to see. But what I'm more intrigued by is, number one, will defenses start bracketing him, changing up coverage to ensure that that Trevor to Engram connection isn't as open as it was on Sunday. But also, we know Doug Peterson is renowned for trying to find mismatches and taking a flex tight end and putting him in situations to, to succeed. I understand Press Taylor is the offensive coordinator now. I understand Trevor Lawrence has more to say about the playbook than he did a year ago. This is where Doug Peterson needs to step in and say, okay, I see this, I see this, I see this. At this juncture, 17 is our best playmaker on the field, not named Travis Etienne. We need to find a way to get him the ball, and we need to identify those mismatches now in the week ahead, not on Sunday during game day. Peterson kind of tried to play it off that with Kirk out of the lineup, it wasn't a big deal. They need to have that cliche next man up mentality. But Lawrence did admit that he does have a huge impact on the offense. Who really needs to step out up here, out and up with Kirk out of the lineup? Yeah, you saw Parker Washington put together an admirable second ever real game in the NFL. I know he obviously has been active a couple games before last week and this week, but certainly he didn't see the targets that he has since Christian Kirk went down. And so, I mean, yes, he fumbles the ball, but he was in the position to succeed and he was running the right route, which cannot be said about some of his contemporaries in the wide receiver room. So he finishes with two catches for 27 yards. I'd love to see more of him over the middle of the field. Trevor Lawrence did not attempt to pass, not complete a pass, did not attempt to pass across the middle of the field more than 10 yards. And for the six passes that he did attempt that were technically considered middle of the field, he completed all six of them, and one of them was for a touchdown score. And so that says to me, just because Christian Kirk is out of the lineup doesn't mean you completely abandon that middle of the field. And in turn, yes, I understand Trevor can make every throw to every corner of the field, but you don't just go with your first read. The offensive line, to their credit, I did not think played that awful on Sunday. I did not think that they were the biggest problem for the Jaguars. Certainly that middle three, yes, the interior of the offensive line, you'd love to see them block better, run block better. You'd love to see Travis Etienne or whoever's in the backfield be able to run between the tackles. But in pass protection, I thought they were largely okay. Trevor had time to throw, more time than he's had at other points of the season when the Jaguars' offensive line was fully healthy. And so that's where I say just because Christian Kirk isn't there, that doesn't mean you abandon that whole part of the playbook. It still needs to be there even if you're just trying to make it easy on a fifth-round rookie in Parker Washington. Ezra Cleveland started at left tackle. There's been a bunch of guys roll through that position this season, but I'll agree with you that I think the offensive line did a really good job, especially in pass protection. There was some sacks late in the game, but Cleveland was pinning their ears back at that time. Overall, you know, Jaguars, this offensive line dealing with injuries. How well do you think they played, and what are the chances we see Walker Little back in the lineup for week 15? Yeah, so sources have told me that that Hammy was a little bit more serious than I think a lot of people wanted to let on. He is reportedly, according to Doug Peterson, going to try to practice this week. But as I've been told, the bigger issue is can he anchor? Um, that's obviously critical to being playing the offensive line. And obviously that directly is affected by your hamstring and the health of it. And so I'm very curious to see if he can go on Sunday night against the Ravens. 
I think it's encouraging that Ezra Cleveland looked as good as he did at left tackle in the limited reps before he exited Sunday's game against the Browns. Um, he is officially listed as day to day. They didn't find anything in the knee and, you know, using uh, after the MRI this morning, which is obviously very important because even if Walker Little can go, you probably need Ezra Cleveland to play left guard. Um, nothing against Tyler Shatley, who I think would do an admirable job. But if you want this offensive line to be at its best, especially in terms of the run game, it has been at its best when Ezra Cleveland is on the field especially in running in between the tackles, which for whatever the reason, come hell or come high water, that is what Press Taylor and company want to do. And I agree. You, you definitely need to keep the defense on their toes. Last year towards the stretch end of the season, the Jaguars were trying to bounce Travis Etienne to the outside too much, trying to hit the edge. And then when he doesn't, that's just as much of a loss as if he tried to run straight up the gut. You also were going against Miles Garrett and the most ferocious front you've seen so far this season. You got another ferocious front, though, coming into Duval on Sunday night in the Baltimore Ravens. And so I'm very curious to see, depending on what that offensive lineup is, does that change how they attack Baltimore? But similar to the Christian Kirk argument, should it really change the game plan all that much? Before we get to the Ravens, one last thing about the Browns, because quarterback Joe Flacco turned it back through for over 300 yards, three touchdowns. The one pick that was more of, I don't think, his fault. It was kind of a happenstance there on that pick that happened there how did the Jaguars defense let Flacco go out and put up 30 plus yeah uh if I knew the answer maybe I'd be calling defensive plays for the Jaguars this week Justin because once is an anomaly <laughs> twice you know shame on you know if you fool me once shame on you fool me twice eh, well now all of a sudden the roles are reversed a little bit and I'm looking at you um and that's what it felt like. It was a very different game plan from the Browns and the Bengals per se. Um, Jake Browning was getting the ball out in 1.79 seconds. Joe Flacco was hanging in the pocket a lot longer. It's a tribute to uh, an offensive line that has been banged up at the tackle position in Cleveland that they were able to hold off, hold Josh Allen to just four pressures, Trayvon Walker to three in this ball game because he had time back there. Jake Browning didn't have a lot of time, but that was also by design that he was going to get the ball out quickly and they were going to move the chains. For what it's worth, I thought the Jags' run defense, at the very least, looked better than it did against the Bengals in a game in which they gave up 100-plus yards. Yes, they gave up 82 yards on the ground in this one, but it's on 28 carries. That's a 2.9-yard per carry clip. That's a pretty good number for this Jags' defense that has consistently been in the top five in run defense. They're always going to allow the opposition to pass. That's just by nature of who Mike Caldwell is. I think not having Trey Herndon and not having a healthy Andre Sisco out there directly affected how they were able to send blitzes. Although we obviously saw a promise with Antonio Johnson forcing a fumble, the sixth or the fifth round rookie, excuse me. And I think you'll see a lot more of him, especially if Herndon is still not out of concussion protocol, which I would think he would be by the time they face the Ravens, but we'll see. But it's those design blitzes that are so essential to Mike Caldwell's scheme. And in turn, it's a bend don't break style of a defense in which you say, hey, dink and dunk all you want. Complete little four-yard screen passes, complete little six-yard out routes. That's fine. Go ahead, do that. You'll rack up some, you know, some massive passing yards, but you're not actually going to find the end zone. That's what they did against Gardner Minshew to great success. That's what they did against Derek Carr. And because they did it against those players, they feel like they can do it against other teams going forward, and I'm just not so sure. Yeah, I think the things they got to clean up are those plays where David Njoku's running wide open. It seemed like twice for those touchdowns, really. And Peterson said that the first one was just a good scheme call from Cleveland. They got him on a blitz. The second one, and even on that fourth down play to David Bell, seemed like guy blew an assignment, and then Darius Williams slipped. So, so close yet so far, they're right there, but you still got to make those plays. Looking forward to Baltimore. 
10 and three. They're at the top of the AFC. They'd have that number one seed that a lot of people in Duval County were talking about before the Bengals game. How critical is this for the Jaguars on Sunday night football, a primetime game? We know Peterson is good in these games, but the last time out in a national spot on Monday night football, you mentioned Jake Browning there, (laughs) didn't go so well, especially for the defense. Well, I'll throw this one back at you, and I think it is worth noting. When the Chiefs came to Jacksonville week two, they were coming off of a loss to the Detroit Lions in week one. When the 49ers came here in week 10, they were coming off of a three-game losing streak. When the Bengals came for Monday Night Football, they were coming off of a disappointing loss to the Pittsburgh Steelers in Jake Browning's first start. The Baltimore Ravens are coming in here riding high. And while this certainly may be the only thing that Jacksonville can point to and say, hey, maybe we'll catch them when they least expect it, I think there's some reality to that. And I think there's also some real credibility to this team knows that they have not proved their worth in front of their home fans. They were before Sunday 6-0 and away from Everbank Stadium. Sunday was their first road loss. There's been so much discussion about, well, you know, when the home – crowd is loud when they're on defense because they're trying to help the defense because they're trying to make it harder for the opposition's offense like the fact that we're even having that conversation says to me and having been at all of those home games it was just it's a series of unfortunate events because against the Chiefs your offense just could do nothing and I think at that point we started to learn that hey maybe the Chiefs defense might actually be their strength this year not Patrick Mahomes and company Against the Texans, it was the biggest snowball effect I've ever seen of special teams miscues. You couldn't replicate it again, even if you tried. Against the Niners, you were going against a desperate team that was coming off a three-game losing streak and had just added Chase Young. They were also coming off of a bye. No way in heck Kyle Shanahan was losing four four straight games. And in the Bengals game, they felt like they were playing with house money. That was their last stand. The Jaguars need to have that same sense of urgency that those four opponents have had coming into this game because without it, I'm really not sure they'll be able to compete with Baltimore because at least on paper, which as Trevor Lawrence has told us, the game ain't played on paper. This one obviously favors Baltimore. How big do you feel like this game is for the Jags' confidence and also the chance at potentially having a home playoff game? Yeah, I think that the one thing outside of their control they have going in their favor, unfortunately, is the injury to Nico Collins, the Texans standout wide receiver, coupled with, of course, the season-ending injury that Tank Dell suffered against the Jaguars. C.J. Stroud in the concussion protocol, that's going to be a tall task for him to come back and play one week later, especially, again, I don't want to play doctor here, but judging by the way that he went down and the quote-unquote rookie wall he hit in the rain at MetLife Stadium on Sunday. Um, If they struggle at Tennessee and lose that game, that helps you. The Colts are going to be coming off of a thumping. I would think they have something to prove against the Steelers team, but the Steelers team is also um, coming off a two-game losing streak. Again, it's the NFL. Anything can happen week to week, but that's the only thing you have going for you outside of the building right now if you're the Jags. And everything else has to be internal. It has to be the sense of urgency. I get the vibe, and I didn't travel this weekend, um, but I've traveled to all the other road games. Um, The vibe that I get is that there's been a deep breath in the building today of, hey, we're eight and five. We still control our own destiny to win the division, to go to the playoffs and to have a home playoff game. Let's come up with a game plan, wipe everything else clean from the weekend before, and move on from there. Or at least that's what I hope is the conversation right now at at the Miller Electric Center, just because I, I go back to the Christian Kirk conversation we had. You can't say, well, this was the game plan at the start of the season, so this is what we need to do. It can no longer be about fitting circle pegs into square holes. 
It needs to be, this is who we have. This is what we're going to figure out in terms of schematically matching up with Baltimore. Do you feel like the hype for this team maybe went too far too fast? Because people are calling them Super Bowl contenders to start the season, but they've shown in these primetime games that they still have some growing to do. They're really good, but I think they're on the younger side and people maybe got a little bit too excited about this team. What do you think? Yeah, I've had some really good conversations over the last few weeks with some folks in the Jaguars organization and then here at 1010XL that have been a part of championship teams or worked for organizations that won Super Bowls and had a similar steady rise to glory to what the Jaguars hope to emulate. And this season, this first season in which you are playing a first place schedule, you're playing all the big dogs in the regular season, as opposed to the schedule that's softer than Charmin that the Texans and Colts have been afforded by virtue of having the second and fourth overall pick in this past April's NFL draft. And similar to the last place schedule that the Jaguars had a year ago when they were able to make their run in the stretch half of the, in the back half of the season. I think that, and from what I've been told this year was always going to be about learning to win those big games. And so maybe we should have lowered expectations a little bit because this team hasn't played a primetime game on Monday night since 2011. Uh, Trevor Lawrence was 12 years old. They haven't played a Sunday night game since 2008. He was nine years old and some of his teammates were even younger. And so I think that again, and I, you know, I've only been here for losing for back of lack of a better word uh, in my five years here in Jacksonville. And I'm also in 2008, I was 14. So again, so I'm in the same boat as a lot of them. And so, so that's where, from what I've been told by people who have been here before, Maybe the expectation should have been a little lower just because the competition was raised so much. But next year is where you have to shut up or put up, you know. Um, and and I think that these next four games will be very telling about what the mindset is of this group, not just going into the postseason, but going into next year as well. And maybe feeling like they let a couple slip away here. Or do they say it's the nature of the NFL? It's a week-to-week league. We lost when we did. Maybe we won a couple that we shouldn't have. Although at this juncture, I think it's safe to say outside of that Bills game, the Jags have taken care of business where they need to take care of business. Now it's about stealing those games from that upper echelon of talent. It sounds like you might be leaning towards calling a Jags win on Sunday Night Football. Is that the vibe I'm getting? I got a, an inkling this morning when I woke up, or rather when I watched the Tylen Wallace return touchdown in overtime that sent the Ravens to a win. And I started thinking, okay. You know, I thought back to that Cowboys game last year when they came in riding high. I actually looked at the line for when the Cowboys travel to Buffalo this week in which they are a two-point underdog in Buffalo, yes, but the Buffalo Bills coming off of a big emotional win in Kansas City. And uh, I don't know, uh, Justin, I'm 51-30 and 30 in our picks on XL Primetime, so I'm not going to go out there and say I'm picking the Jags just yet because I want to see how healthy they can get. But I got a feeling and uh, it helps when uh, and I hate to put him on the spot, but I keep doing it because I believe that we're going to ensure the streak lives on this weekend. Um, The Jaguars are 0 and 4 when Super Bowl winning head coach and my good friend Dave Campo is in attendance this year. I have told him he is not allowed into Everbank Stadium on Sunday night, and I am hoping that that streak lives on. Mia, you've been awesome. Your energy is great. And if you want to follow her on social media, especially on Twitter or X, it's at Mia O'Brien TV. We really appreciate you hopping on and giving your unique insight on the Believe in Jaguar show. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. 
No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.